Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 153 of ADHD for Smartass Women. Please subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at tracyoutsuka.com. You know, my purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it in the thousands of ADHD women that I have had the privilege of meeting. I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something, not one. And here we are again to prove that there is no exception to this rule. So I was introduced to our next guest through Lori Peterson, who is the amazing educational diagnostic diagnostician. I always stumble over that word. We actually, um, we've done two podcasts together and she is the one who finally made sense of my son Marcus's odd educational presentation by spotting dyslexia in his ADHD soup. Shortly after that, Marcus and I met with our guest, Melanie Florsheim, because she came highly referred by Lori. And that's when I realized that I had heard so many great things about her from many different sources over the past year. So for all of these reasons, I am just delighted to introduce you to Melanie Florsheim. Melanie is an ADHD family life coach, certified academic language therapist, and licensed dyslexia therapist in Texas. She has a bachelor's degree in interdisciplinary studies and early childhood from Texas State University, and a master's in education with a concentration on dyslexia therapy from SMU. Melanie has opened Learning Lab Resource Centers in two different private schools in the North Dallas area. She is a dyslexia therapist and a 504 coordinator at a local charter school in Carrollton, Texas. In 2010, she started Gateway Growth and Development to provide private dyslexia therapy to students of all ages and private ADHD life coaching for families impacted by the challenges of ADHD and executive function skill deficits. Melanie has been married to her wonderful husband, for 27 years, and she has three human children, ages 20, 22, and 24, and a little furry child named Charlie. 
They're the best, aren't they? She is also a fellow smart-ass woman who triumphs over her ADHD and dyslexia every day. Phew. Did I get that all right, Melanie? You got it right. You got it right. I'm, wow. Who is that person? (laughs) That is impressive. I don't know who that is. Golly. Very humbled. Thank you so much for having me here. Well, thank you for being here. So before we start and go into the meat of why you're actually here, can we talk about your ADHD diagnoses first? Yes, for sure. So what were the circumstances? When did this happen? How did it happen? Tell us everything. So I began um, doing ADHD coaching training um, about, oh, 2015, I guess. And I get all the dates mumbled and jumbled, but about that time. And through that training, I was like, okay, wow, that's like me. Wow, that sounds like me. Oh, I do that. That's why I do that. And so, you know, I have dyslexia. And so I always knew that there were some executive functioning, you know, challenges that come with just having, you know, a learning difference. But then when I started to hear all the characteristics of ADHD through my training, I mean, I I was, it was undeniable. So, you know, I, I went to the doctor, I, you know, did the whole testing thing, got, got diagnosed with dyslexia. So I am one of those Wait, got diagnosed with dyslexia or ADHD? I'm sorry, ADHD. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes, thank you. Um, See, it's real. The struggle is real. (laughs) Um, To keep it all straight, it takes a whole lot for me. But anyway, yeah, so I got diagnosed with the ADHD. And, um, you know, for me, medication was something that um, I tried and it worked. And it was kind of a, a game changer for me. And, you know, my life shifted dramatically in a lot of different ways. It it also allowed me to look back at growing up and, you know, my early adulthood, being a mom with three young kids, um, the struggles that I had there, things just started to make sense. And it allowed me an opportunity to really kind of redefine who I thought that I was. Hmm. If that makes sense. Oh my um, God, that totally makes sense. So just to make sure that I'm understanding, you were diagnosed with dyslexia, and I'm going to go into that story too, but you were first diagnosed with dyslexia, and the whole reason you decided to take um, ADHD coach training was because you were working in this special, what do you call it? Is it special education? Is that the right term? So, I, you know, I went back and got my master's later in life too. I'm kind of, I guess I'm kind of the late bloomer. Um, we all are back, like that. Yeah. Got my master's um, after my kids were well into school and um, decided to become a dyslexia therapist because I do have dyslexia. And through that, I, you know, went into opening the learning labs, helping kids with learning differences and decided, okay, something's missing. You know, something's not sticking. I'm, I'm helping these kids, you know, in our resource center and they're doing things greatly when they're with me. They're being organized. We're staying on top of their assignments, blah, 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 blah. But then they leave me and they go back to the classroom and it all unravels or they, they leave the school building and they go home and it all unravels. So that's where I decided to do the coaching. 
But these kids had ADHD, right? And you were a working lot with of them, them had ADHD. Okay. A lot of them had dyslexia. You know, processing um, mm-hmm. challenges. Just all, a whole gamut of things. Um, and so I, I was seeing like there's just there's got to be more than just telling them what to do showing them what to do and then expecting them to go and do it. They couldn't go and do it mm-hmm. <laughs> away from me. And, yeah. and to me, that was defeating the whole purpose of what I wanted for them. So you are basically a backward Marcus story. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, I do it all my way. <laughs> I am an anomaly from beginning to end. <laughs> So you were diagnosed with dyslexia and we're seeing everything through, okay, this dyslexia lens because the symptoms are so similar. Yes. And then went to go learn more about ADHD for your students, (laughs) clients, right? And discover that, oh my gosh, this is actually me. I I have both. For sure. Wow. For sure. You're like the perfect person to talk to about this. So I am curious, what has changed since you were diagnosed with ADHD? I should have started with dyslexia, but we're already going down this road. So let's just go there. What's changed since you were diagnosed with ADHD? So like I said, I, I, for me personally, and and I do believe it's a personal decision, how you, you manage and and treat ADHD. But for me, I, I, I chose medication. And once I started to get enough of that dopamine and go into my frontal lobe and my executive function was kicking in, it was a game changer. I was like, wow, I really can do that. And man, I really can remember some things because I have a the ability to stop and make a decision on how I'm going to remember that thing, right? So it really opened up a lot of doors for me that I before that moment thought, oh, I can't do that. Oh, I'm not good at that. Oh, I could never figure that out. And there was a, there was a big part of me that really felt like I was defected, that there's something not right with me. (laughs) You know, like there's, I'm just missing, like there was a bolt that didn't get screwed together right for me. And it's out there somewhere and maybe I'll figure it out. But, you know, I'm just not organized. I'm always late. That's just who I am. Ha, 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 ha. And so it really empowered me to really understand my brain wiring that I'm not dumb. I'm not, you know, missing a bolt. Well, some might beg to differ with that, but, you know, I found it. I found the bolt that I thought was loose and tightened it up and it worked. And it it really allowed me to have, um, you know, the business that I have and to be able to do what I'm doing. I would never be able to do what I'm doing without knowing about my ADHD and and managing it and treating it the way that works for me. So do you think it even gave you the confidence to be doing what you're doing? Like you wouldn't have done it. Oh, completely. The diagnoses. Completely. Because I would have shied away from it. What I'm doing now requires so much of my executive function that I don't know if I'd ever be able to do this. The the other thing is it it really allowed me to understand and relate even more with my clients, right? So true. Even yeah. more with my families, um, all the way around. And it, it was something that I was able to share my story and say, "Look, you can do it. I'm a grown woman. <laughs> you know, 
you're never, it's never too late to understand more about yourself and um, allow it to be an asset for you rather than having, you know, it be a burden. Okay. So now that we know that piece, can we back up a little bit and can you tell us about your dyslexia? When were you diagnosed? So I am the oldest of four kids Mm. and I have three younger brothers and they all have dyslexia. So all Um, of you have it. Oh yes, very much. My, my father has it. My brothers have it. Um, I did not, my deficit was not as great um, as some um, in my family. So I was probably in third grade. And I mean, I remember in second grade, I failed something in second grade. I can't even remember what it was. I don't even care anymore, but you know, (laughs) we're reflecting. So I feel like I'm on the couch a little bit looking backwards. (laughs) Um. Yeah. So I, I never, school was never my gig. It was always hard. I never understood, you know, it was just a struggle. I remember that even in younger grades. So it was about third grade, you know, I got, my mom was, and dad too, very supportive of getting us exactly what we needed. And so I started doing dyslexia therapy and, um, you know, good old alphabetic phonics was what we used back then. And, you know, I learned how to read, write, and spell just like everybody else with dyslexia. Um, so yeah, you know, it was something I didn't really understand it, to be honest. I just I really didn't get it. I just knew, okay, wow, I get I get pulled out of class and I was fine with that because I didn't want to be in there anyway. <laughs> and, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. And the group that I was with, ha ha ha, they were so fun. <laughs> We probably all had ADHD and didn't know it back then, you know? And so, yeah. So I learned how to read, write, and spell just like the kids that I I work with um, and the young adults that I work with. Um, How long did it take you? I mean, did you, do you remember when you started in, I guess they, did they call it dyslexia therapy then? No, they called it alphabetic something. Okay. From probably the curriculum that they use, but it was like alphabet class or something like that, you know, looking back, oh my gosh, we would never do that now. But back then they did. Um, did it work? I mean, yeah, it did. And your, it worked for your brothers too. You know what? It did work for my brothers. Um, there were two of the three that, that really had a time with the dyslexia. Um, and they are brilliant, brilliant men. Yeah engineers, double majors, went Hmm. to tech, you know, environmental engineering, incredibly smart guys, but they had accommodations all the way through college. They went to schools where, you know, they were mainly dyslexic schools where they, everyone there had dyslexia. The teachers taught to their dyslexia and their brain wiring. And my brothers have done fabulous you know, it's never easy, right? If you're not the neurotypical kind of mainstream, it can be challenging. But if you have a drive to do something, you're going to figure it out. And that's what we all did. We all figured it out the way we needed to. Well, and that's what they say about um, people with dyslexia, but also people with ADHD. It's, it's, 
these challenges are what develop that inability to ever give up. You know, we just keep going, we figure it out, and we become problem solvers, like amazing problem solvers. So Exactly. It's that grit. Yes, it's that's that res- the word. <laughs> yeah, it's grit. It's resilience. It's perseverance. It's the creativity that comes from having a, a learning difference, you know, thinking out of the box. But, you know, it's not easy, right? It, and it, it's it's definitely something um, that I have to maneuver around at times. But, you know, it works. I mean, I've, I have figured it out. Not perfectly and not the way maybe someone else would do it. But I figured it out my way for me for what I want to do in life. So as I mentioned earlier, after a good decade of testing with my son, Marcus, and constantly asking, are you sure it's not dyslexia? And being told no. Mm -hmm. My son was finally diagnosed with dyslexia, and he is like so owning it. Mm. You know, the ADHD, he was kind of like, eh, yeah, but he always said to me, I don't have those executive function challenges. I'm never late. I'm five minutes early. You know, I'm organ. I mean, he, he's gotten way more organized and, ske- you know, he schedules everything in advance. He's got whiteboards in his apartment and he wasn't always like that. So I think mm-hmm. it's just like the prefrontal cortex, right? It's developing as he's getting older, but right. he's really owning dyslexia. It's almost like he's thrilled that he's, you know, he has dyslexia, but I always noticed these huge gaps in his education that never made sense to us or anyone we talked to that now make perfect sense. And you're another example of this. We know that ADHD is very high comorbidity with dyslexia. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read statistics up to that, you know, it's as high as up to one in five kids has dyslexia. And of those, 50% also have ADHD. So there's a very high likelihood if you have one, you have the other, and that goes both ways. So I am now on a mission to talk to everyone I possibly can about ADHD and dyslexia. And I just really believe that if you have dyslexia, you should assess for ADHD. And if you have ADHD, your child should be assessed for dyslexia, especially when there are big unexplained gaps in education. You know, when you're hearing comments from teachers that, well, he's so bright, I can't understand, you know, you know, why he doesn't really care or, you know, he doesn't live up to his potential. He, you know, so if you have a really bright verbal kid who doesn't want to read and they struggle with writing and reading, and maybe the struggles aren't pronounced, but you just know that there's something else, get them tested for dyslexia. Would you agree with that? (laughs) Because I'm like on my soapbox. Yes. No, I definitely, I mean, I get a lot of families that come and, you know, the schools are not wanting to test or they're not, you know, they're not seeing that what they, what they need to see in order for them to get tested. And I tell, and they cut, they say, I just know if it's a kid that has an older sibling, you know, he or she isn't doing what they did right? There's just got to be something. And I always, always, always tell my parents, you know your kid better than anybody. And if your gut is telling you that something's not right, you you owe it to yourself and you owe it to your kid to figure out what that is, right? Time is of the essence. Back in the day, it was all the the developmental. Oh, let's give them time. They'll yep. they'll pick up reading. Well, our brains were not made to read. 
Our brains were made to speak and, you know, communicate through speech, but our brains were not created to naturally pick up reading. That's why we have to learn it. (laughs) And so if you have a brain wiring and the circuitry in your brain wiring doesn't pick up reading like everybody else, you got to figure that out because it's not just going to happen. There's something holding that back from happening. And so I tell my families, you know, don't be afraid, right? We're not looking for something. We are trying to understand something, which is very, in my opinion, is very different, right? I'm not hunting for a diagnosis. I want to understand my kids' brain wiring, their strengths and their weaknesses, so that I can begin to support that and help other people give my kid what they need. I love that. So how about if you tell us, for those that don't know, what exactly is dyslexia? Because I think there's a lot of misinformation, which is why kids don't get tested. Right. So dyslexia is, it's a neurological I hate to say the word, you know, disorder, but it's, it's a neurological condition. Mm -hmm. So it's brain based. Um, It is genetic. There is a high hereditary component with it. And basically when you have dyslexia, your brain wiring does not allow you to process language efficiently, accurately like a neurotypical brain would, right? And so when we say language, we're talking about letters and sounds, the alphabetic, you know, principle of our language, okay? So we just don't do it efficiently. So it doesn't mean that we can't do it. What does that mean as far as it doesn't? Can you give us an example? Yes, I can. So the way I explain it is, okay, you and I are going to go on a road trip and you're going, you've got the big high speed, you know, Ferrari race car. And I have the 10 year old station wagon. Okay. And we're going to start, we're going to start at the same spot, leave at the same time, go, but, and we're going to go to, let's say Austin, Texas, it's three and a half hours away. So you're going to get right on the highway with that Ferrari race car. And you are going to have no problem. You're probably going to get there before me. Me, I'm in the station wagon. So I'm not getting on the highway because I don't know what's going to happen. And I really want to get to Austin. So now I'm going on all the little scenic routes. I hit a pothole. I got to pull over and change my tire, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I get there, but I'm like, you know, six hours from, you know, when we left. So the difference is we both have a car. We both have a brain. We both can drive to Austin. We both are going to, you know, have this capacity that we can, we could possibly read, okay? But your way of going about it and my way of going about it are completely different, right? Your neurotypical brain is going to just get onto that Autobahn highway of processing letters and sounds. My brain is not going to get on that Autobahn highway because I can't. So it's going to take me a lot longer, you know, to read the chapter book than it is for you. 
Now, if I can upgrade my, my station wagon to something a little bit newer, even faster, right? Maybe even very similar to your Ferrari race car. Well, then I can get on the Autobahn highway with you, right? You still might be faster than me, but I'm going to be able to still get there. It won't take me six hours. Maybe it'll take me five hours or not five hours. Let's say if Austin's three and a half, it, it, maybe it'll take me four hours, right? So, so it isn't that I can't do it. It's that I, ha- I, my circuitry does not tap into that autobahn processing place in my brain. So when we go to dyslexia therapy, now I am rerouting your circuitry and your neuro pathways so that you can begin to tap into those parts of your brain to process language more efficiently, faster, better, accurately, automatically. So you're actually building up those parts in the brain permanently. The circuitry of your brain, yes. Okay. So, hold on, what was my question? (laughs) So are there some people with dyslexia that are just slower using your, you know, example of the Ferrari and the station wagon. So is that one category, but all there are also people who they literally can't read at all. It's like they're reading a foreign language. Could you have dyslexia that's that bad? Or can everybody read? They just read at different rates. So, I mean, you know, you're talking about the brain, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the brain can learn things, right? There's the plasticity of our brain. And so it's never too late to learn how to read, okay? But depending on the deficit, that could make it a little bit longer to learn. It could, you know, you might be able to reroute the circuitry, but it still might not be as good or as efficient as you know, your neurotypical brain, right? So, you know, what will happen and what can happen is we have um, people who go through dyslexia therapy, kids, adults, whatever. And, you know, of course, the ideal is that they are equally on level uh, with reading, writing, and spelling as their peers, but sometimes the therapy, you know, the brain, the deficit is is greater. And so it, it, it's a lot harder to reroute that circuitry, right? And so, I, you know, there's, there's definitely a goal that we want to see. And for, for most people, yeah, it's, it's going to do what it needs to do. But not everyone is going to come out of dyslexia therapy being the, you know, in the spelling bee, winning first place and being the speed reader. Does that make, does that make sense? It does. Okay. When you, um, when you finish dyslexia therapy, are you ever going to actually love to read or will it still always be a little harder than it would be for someone who doesn't have dyslexia? That's a really good question. I think it depends on the person, right? I think that 
you know, when you're young and you can't read and everyone is just reading right past you and you've got, you know, bigger, larger people standing over you, why can't you do this? Why is this so hard? Why is it taking you so long? You know, it isn't that hard. Just, you know, whatever, try harder, whatever they say, right? You know, there's, that's a whole nother level of therapy, (laughs) literally, right? And so I, I, I think your question is complicated because to love to read, what what do I have to overcome in my belief system about myself? What do I have to to shift in my thinking so that I don't feel threatened when I have to pick up a book and read it or or God forbid read out loud? Right? So I think that, you know, can someone love to read if they have dyslexia? Sure they can. I mean, someone can love to read even if it's hard to read. I mean, it's hard for me to still read sometimes. I mean, I'm not the fastest reader. I love books. And and I've learned how to read books, right, in a, for what I, the purpose that I, I have for that book. But I am not a speed reader, but I love books and I love information and I, I like to read. I love to read. But, you know, it, it's not, I'm not fast. I didn't have just an awful experience growing up with school, um, like some of my students that I, I I work with. So I think it's I think it's just different for everybody. And and again, how you know the the extreme of uh, the extremity of your of your deficit is going to determine how well your your neurology will take to the therapy, right? The thing that I think is, wait, could you say that again? So your neurology, you know, like your neurocircuitry, that's what we're doing. We're rerouting your neurotransmitters to fire off in the right places so that you can process language accurately, you know, quickly, all of that. Well, the therapy, you do the therapy, and then after you're done, the hope is that it will be exactly where you want it to be, which would be grade level, reading fast or whatever. But, you know, it might not be perfect. It, 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 there still might be struggles with dyslexia. Your, your reading rate might have improved, but it, it might not have been cured, right? It doesn't just go away with therapy, right? So if your deficit is pretty significant, you know, we don't know. Therapy is definitely, with the experience that I have, therapy always works. It definitely improves um, the reading, writing, and spelling abilities of my students. But does it bring them up to grade level every time? No. But does it make it easier? Yes, because it has improved their ability to do those things. Does that clear it up? Yeah, and I would think that... um the sooner you're diagnosed, the sooner you get the therapy, mm-hmm. those younger brains are more plastic. Mm-hmm. So, and they have, you know, they have more time too. I think younger kids, right? Yes. Yes. Um, for this therapy, because mm-hmm. we're going to talk about it because it's not, it's not an easy fix. Um, but the better for that child, for so many reasons, they're not going to have um, ugh, all the negative self-talk that would come if they literally had years and years and years of not knowing it's even dyslexia and thinking they're stupid. So they wouldn't have to overcome that as well as the dyslexia. 
Right. Right. So I can never remember this. I literally have to remember, okay, left brain means creative to me because it's different. It's left, but it's really right brain that's creative. Literally, that's the wiring that I go through with my brain. So on what side of the brain does a neurotypical you know, child without dyslexia, what side do they learn to read on? What side of the brain does that? So we shift right, right mm-hmm. to left. So then the autobahn that I talk about in mm-hmm. processing language is mainly on the left side, you know, and, and, you know, okay. full disclosure, I am not a brain researcher, right? Yeah. This is stuff that's been taught to me over the years. I have, so everyone full disclosure, <laughs> but that's the way that, that I explain it. That's the way that I have comprehended it. You know, we all, we start out in the right part of your brain reading, you know, and that's the pictures and the, the, the rhythm of language and, you know, rhyming, even without print, you know, experimenting language isn't always just letters and sounds, but that's where we end up graduating towards, right? And so, so we then, start with the right brain. And then when we're, when we're into, you know, when we're actually reading, like, there's no pictures. That's the left side of the brain, typically? Yes. No. So like rudely, rudely explaining it, yes. Okay. What I've always seen is that the more ADHD someone seems to have, like the more symptoms, it's almost like they're just off the charts creative. And so I'm curious if you've seen that with de- dyslexia as well, the more severe their dyslexia symptoms, the more creative they are and kind of out of the box. For sure. Huh. Yes, for sure. It's definitely that way. And, and, you know, as you begin to reroute um, the circuitry, right, you know, you, you don't want, you want that creative part of people to stay there, right? Um, yes. So it's, it's true. What you're saying is very true. And that's why a lot of our entrepreneurs, actors, comedians, right? Very, very creative thinking out of the box, having those um, abilities and skills that you do find mainly on the right side of, of your brain, right? Versus the, the real analytical, sequential, logical, <laughs> logical, um, all of that, more left side of your brain. Makes sense. Okay. It does. So it does. What are the common symptoms of dyslexia? You know, as a parent or even as an adult, I mean, honestly, after going through all this with Marcus, I'm, I'm constantly looking now, could I just have like a little bit of dyslexia? Because there's certain things that are just weird, you know, that I've never been able to figure out. What are some common symptoms that we should look for? So with dyslexia, you know, there's going to be characteristics that we see outwardly. Okay. So, you know, especially younger, that inability to make rhymes or to, um, you know, how we play games with our kids, you know, I'll say fat, you say, and then you want them to say something that rhymes with fat, cat, hat, mat, dat, whatever. When, when you have a young child and they are struggling with that rhythm in language, you know, that that's a red flag. And it's not just rhyming, right? It's also being able to hear the syllables in words, 
counting words in a sentence, how many words are in a sentence. Why would that be a problem, counting words in a sentence? So when you have dyslexia, you have a very difficult time unblending or taking apart or segmenting language. So for a dyslexic, hearing the sentence, um, today is Monday, that would be one big word versus today is Monday, right? So that's three words. It's not one word, right? Or today is Monday. Okay. I don't even know how many words I, there's my working memory for you, but you know, that's not three words when we break it up into syllables, but a dyslexic can think that that's three words. So that, that ability to hear the rhyme in words, to hear the syllables in words, to hear the words within a sentence, to isolate that first sound or that last sound in a word. Those are very challenging things for us to do with dyslexia, but are crucial in being able to spell (laughs) and write. So that would be, you know, when your, your kid is younger, those are some things you can look for even before they're doing formal, you know, reading instruction. Um, when we get to further on in school and now we're teaching them how to read first grade, second grade, you know, that's when they're not, you know, they read the word can on this page, but then you go to the next page and they can't read the word at all. And you're like, okay, you just saw the word can, you know, it's the sight word we're working on and it's all in this little paper book and now you can't read it, (laughs) you know, and you're like, what's going on? So um, just the inconsistencies like that, Um, unable to, you know, sound out a word, just the labored reading, skipping, skipping words can be, you know, a sign, it's not the best sign, but it, it's definitely a characteristic that we would could see. But really, it's just when you when you put the print in front of them, it doesn't match what you know they're capable of doing in all the other areas of their life, minus print. And that is really the key. It is. <laughs> so it doesn't matter how yeah. it manifests itself. We're going to see outward characteristics, okay? But that's only what we're seeing. We're not seeing the phonological deficit that's cognitive to language in their brain. Yeah. So you have this seemingly very bright child, right? Yes. Really verbal. And you think, (laughs) oh my gosh, that kid must read all the time. They're so smart, but then they cannot match that in their schoolwork, specifically reading, writing, but also in older grades in math. And that was one of my son's struggles. Like, how could you be gifted in math, but you get to algebra and calculus and, oh my God, he could barely pass. (laughs) Right. Some of the other ones that I wanted to mention just because they were unique to us is ambidexterity. I read that that can be, you know, a very common sign. He couldn't tie his shoelaces. So tell me why that would be. He would confuse right and left and he couldn't, I must, it's because you have to use both hands, right? 
So you're okay. So now you're you're asking me something, and I I don't know a whole I don't know <laughs> a whole lot about all that, but I can give you what I think. Okay, um, and so if anyone out in the world you know, has a better, more accurate explanation, then by all means, I get trumped with (laughs) anybody else. Okay. (laughs) You know, but I think that, you know, there, I just, I call them quirkies of dyslexia. Okay. So it's almost like those things that fall a little bit outside of just the reading, writing, and spelling. Okay. If it could only be that simple. Um, Directions are hard for people with dyslexia. You know, knowing the difference between you know, north, south, east, west. I mean, I still to this day have to think, never eat soggy waffles. I mean, I have to think. I am a grown woman. I and I still have to think about problem, that. Problem, Melanie. No idea about directions. Yeah. Never know where I am. It, and so left and right. I have a hard time with left and right. I have to sometimes feel my right hand finger where I have this huge, you know, bump on it from riding all the time. And I will sometimes, if someone says, take a ride, I have to stop for just a split second and feel my finger. Is that right? Okay, that's the right way. You know, reading the a clock can be very difficult for me. So I just always call those just the quirkies of dyslexia, right? Those don't have anything to do with reading and writing and spelling, but it's the, it's the neurological circuitry. So I don't understand it all. There's, there's a part of me, just my layman, you know, self thinks, okay, it, is it some executive function that gets in the way there? Um, you know, is it the the right part of the brain taking over? I don't know. And I would be, it's something definitely that is, is curious. And I would love to, to know more about that. But you're right. There are quirkies. You've heard of that one though, right? Oh, yes. I've heard of, like yes, it. for sure. Um, being very, um, you know, uncoordinated. Okay. Um, kids that don't, and I'm going to say this, and I don't want anyone freaking out when I say this, okay? So hopefully the whole world goes to the pediatrician every year and you do your well checks and your developmental checks and all this on your kids. But, you know, kids that don't, that don't crawl, they go from rolling over to walking. Like they do not crawl. They do not cross that, that midline, yeah, that was my daughter. you know, of their brain. And so they you know, you've seen little videos like kids will, you know, they, they hop, they roll, they, they, con- they come up with other ways. Yeah. Sure. They compensate, Yeah, but they don't walk. And there's something about whatever happens in the brain that causes you to develop. Now that is developmental, right? To go from crawl, you know, to rolling, to sitting, to, you know, crawling, walking, whatever the order is. I forget my kids are so old, but, um, yeah, I mean that, that is definitely a red flag. Um, kids with speech, a lot of kids are, a lot of our kids that get early speech, um, support end up having dyslexia Mm -hmm. as well. So what do you mean by early speech support? Where they have like if you know if if you're having a hard time with articulation, um, if you're you know getting support with a speech pathologist at a younger age, 
for mainly what I have seen is articulation, but I, I'm sure that, you know, there's more to it than just that. But that can be, you know, a red flag as well um, to look into or keep your eye out for, for more characteristics of dyslexia. Absolutely. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to read a couple more. Okay. Just because that is what made the difference for me as far as really understanding that, oh my gosh, because there are things that Marcus really didn't struggle with. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, he would, he was a poor speller, but he got A's on spelling tests. Why? Because he has really good Mm -hmm. working memory. And so he would memorize. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's what the teachers also looked at and thought, no, he's fine. Don't worry about him. You know, kids all, you know, progress at their own rate is what we would hear. Mm -hmm. He, he struggled with the alphabet. I I don't, today he says, I don't know if I know the alphabet today. Struggled with days of the week, struggled with months, never knew what month was what. Bad handwriting. He was the last one in his class. He went to a Catholic school and I guess they learned cursive. And he was the last one to get his pen. And I, I didn't realize how much that bothered him. I didn't even remember that that was, in fact, you know, what happened. But yes, he didn't know his address until junior high school. What? I was like, how do you not know your address? And of course, I had my daughter to compare, right, who was three and right. a half years older. We never asked her, do you know what your address is? And she didn't know. I was worried. Like I thought, do I, is this like Paddington bear? I need to, you know, put a clip on his little jacket so that <laughs> if he got lost, people would know, you know, where to bring him back home to. Yet when you talk to this kid, you were like, he's really bright. Like, how does he not know his address? So it was those weird discrepancies between verbal skills and then, you know, other abilities that I felt like he should know. He, mm-hmm. he didn't know homophones, you know, the there, there, and there, the differences. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we would work with him I, literally a whole month. I had flashcards. Every morning we'd work with him. And the next day, he didn't know him again. Total mm. disregard of punctuation. I understand that's a big one though, right? Yes. I mean, um, in, in that, I was thinking about the, fo- the, the part of with the speech and, um, you know, needing help with um, speech support when you're younger, you know, stuttering. Word retrieval is a is a big characteristic that we can see with dyslexia. You know, you know the word, you can picture in your mind the word, but you just can't find the the word to say, right? And so, again, it's that language piece, right? It's connecting the symbols, the letters, the letters going together, you know, with the sounds to make the word and then us being able to retrieve it and then bring it out. There's just a breakdown there with dyslexia. Is that also with ADHD? Or do you think that's more dyslexia? Because, oh my God, and can it get worse later in life? Well, right. I mean, as you know, the brain depends greatly on sleep and nutrition and exercise and anytime the brain and is estrogen. Taxed, exactly. Anytime the brain is taxed, right? It's going to be harder to do what it's supposed to do. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's something to remember that, you know, dyslexia, it's a neurological condition, just like ADHD is. So if you have one or the other, Your brain is taxed when it has to do certain things. And when it's taxed in one area, 
it gonna, it's going to be more tired to do things in other areas as well, right? And, and then just imagine if you have ADHD and dyslexia, two neurological conditions that your brain has to work extra hard to, to compensate for both, right? And so, you know, word retrieval is definitely something we tie with dyslexia. But yeah, I mean, with ADHD, it, it isn't that you, you know, if you have ADHD without the dyslexia and you have a hard time retrieving words, it's it's not a language deficit, right? It's probably more just slowing down, thinking about what you want to say, attaching, you know, that kind of thing. Not, not, being able to go into your long-term memory and, and pull that up and, you know, attach the sounds with the letters and da 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 to, to produce the word, if that makes sense. So um, it does make sense. I'm curious, you know, from someone who works with kids, and I think you work with young adults, right, as well? Yes. Okay. Yes. Kids, well, yeah, my son. Um, yep. From someone who works with kids and young adults every day, what differences, if any, do you see between the kids who have just ADHD versus the kids who have ADHD and dyslexia? Is there like a similar profile? So this is a big one. Um, <laughs> I know I'm sitting here thinking, okay, how do I start and, and be able to end? Because I could just talk about this forever. Um, we get someone that comes in and you can look at all the data, you know, the take the assessments, just not diagnostic assessments, just kind of ba- bench line assessments to kind of, kind of just see where they're performing and where they're, where, where they're at, listening to them read, all of that kind of stuff. Try to figure out like, is there some kind of dyslexia going on or, or is it just attention issues, whatever. And, you know, you can have deficits in comprehension. You can have deficits in um, reading rate and accuracy and not have dyslexia because you have ADHD. And ADHD holds you back from really focusing on what you're reading to be able to answer comprehension questions, right? ADHD slow, can slow down your processing, right? Because you're going too fast for you to you know, pick up on the right phrase you should say to answer the question or whatever, right, in terms of comprehension. With reading rate, you know, golly, ADHD, we are we are bulldozers sometimes. We can just go so fast and we don't stop at the punctuation. And so then we're not reading it correctly to hear the meaning behind the words. Um, so I think you're kind of getting the idea. What what we have to have for someone to have dyslexia is that cognitive deficit with language, which is the phonological awareness, okay? That has to be identified for us to say that the characteristics we're seeing are linked to dyslexia, okay? If we're not seeing those characteristics linked to dyslexia, then we have to look at, well, then what is going on? That's when we could very well say, oh, wow, ADHD. Um, you know, there are there's things to do for our ADHD kids when they struggle with comprehension, they struggle with fluency, um, 
their handwriting isn't very good because of their ADHD, not because they have dysgraphia, but because they have ADHD. Um, so there's things that we can do. Um, you know, it's funny if, if someone chooses, there makes that personal choice for their kid to get on medication. A lot of times that stuff just, it goes away, right? Like we are comprehending, we're reading great. Our handwriting completely changes. We can spell, you know? And so then it's like, okay, yeah, for sure. No dyslexia there. What can be difficult is when we get a kid who's, who's, you know, got the, the dual diagnosis, right? We've got ADHD and dyslexia. Well, what we find, it can be really hard for our students um, with, dys- with ADHD doing the dyslexia therapy and being able to stay focused and, and be in completely engaged with the therapy. Right. And so, you know, some kids who are not medicated, you know, they they can do it. But there's a lot more that have a really hard time with it. And so then you run into, okay, they're not getting the full benefits of the therapy because it's hard to stay engaged with the learning. So then we get you know, we get done and it's like, okay, but th- there's still deficits here and still deficits here and we're still behind here. And, you know, and so um, I call it Swiss cheese learning, right? You, you've got the piece of cheese, but there's some holes there. Okay. So if we go back to those kids, let's say you're working with kids with ADHD, you're working with kids with dyslexia, we're working with, you're working with kids with ADHD and dyslexia. Are there profiles like you know, do those kids have different characteristics? So we can see similar characteristics. I guess I'm talking about like personality types, you know. Okay. Okay. And I'm thinking about the skills of reading and writing mm. and spelling okay. because that's, you know, that's kind of, yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to help with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of, you know, of course with my dyslexic kids, but even if we're trying to figure out, is it ADHD or dyslexia? So personality wise, I mean, I think you got, you, you know, it's, it's a, it's a colorful world, right? Everybody's different. And, you know, just because you have dyslexia doesn't mean you are going to be creative. Just like with ADHD, it doesn't mean you're going to be the most outgoing person in the room. Right. I think that that, that varies. And I don't, you know, does it have to do with ADHD? Does it have to do with dyslexia? Eh, yes and no. Uh-huh. So I, I don't think there's real, in my experience, in my opinion, it's not like this, this personality profile that, that would go, that would cause me to say, lean in one direction or the other in terms of what they're struggling with. Okay. Okay. So again, you're just saying it's all different. And in your experience, the kids that you have that are diagnosed with ADHD versus the kids with dyslexia versus the kids with both, they don't present much different to you. Personality wise. Is that what, that's what you're asking me, right? Well, I'm trying to think when I'm asking personality wise, I guess what I'm, what I'm really asking is, do you find that there's one group that tends to be more entrepreneurial 
or um no okay. i think they both can be okay all of them so yeah and, and, and okay so i understand where you're going yes yeah. so i think that yes my students the population that i work with whether they have adhd and or dyslexia they are the hardest working the most resilient kids mm. ever they have to sacrifice a ton that their peers do not have to. I mean, they, they have to come to me three to five days a week for an hour to just relearn the alphabet. I mean, who wants to do that? <laughs> who wants to be in fifth grade and go apple, at ah, igloo, eh? Who wants to, you know, be mm-hmm. in high school and they can't pass their ACT or SAT and they are super brilliant and have every right and, you know, purpose to be at the university, yet they can't pass their SAT or ACT, even with accommodations, right? And they're with me trying to figure out how to, how we're trying to figure out how to patch those holes in their reading, writing, and spelling. You know, that's, that takes guts and, and it takes a lot of remembering who you really are and what you're really made of. And it's not easy. I mean, we have to have, you know, the little kids cry, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, I'm working with someone right now and God bless her. She, you know, she's an itty bitty and I've had her for a two years already and we're still working at it. And, you know, she just will cry because it's hard. It's hard what I'm having her do. And she knows she is brilliantly smart. And I tell her, I know this stinks, right? Because I'm asking her to do the thing that she probably hates the most about Mm. what she can't do, but she's getting better. And now we can look back And I can say, wow, look at you. Do you remember? You know, and it's like, yeah, I I have done that. So it, they're, they're the bravest, strongest people I know. Um, Tell us really quick. um, I've been going on forever here just because this is so good and so interesting to me. And I hope our listeners do. What does dyslexia therapy look like? You kind of alluded to it just now. So dyslexia therapy, you know, it's a multi-sensory curriculum, right? We're we're relearning the alphabet, we're relearning sound letters and sounds um in a multi-sensory way so that it gets into that brain. We're doing a lot of practice, a lot of review, a lot of repetition so that every time we see Apple A, we are pushing, pushing, pushing it into that long-term memory so that it is automatic. Um, And is that why it takes so much time? Yes. And so, and how much time is it exactly? Um, Well, you know, the ideal in a perfect world, you'd go five days a week for an hour, right? But unfortunately that time, you know, doesn't allow that a lot of times in schools. And um, so in private practice, what we, what we absolutely the bare minimal of what we will contract with um, parents for their kids is three days a week for an hour. 
um, each session. You know, some kids, we do three, three days a week, one week, and we do four days a week the next week, three days a week, four days a week. Um, we do holidays, we do summer, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's not cheap, it's timely, but I always tell our families it's an investment, right? If you're not, if you're not able to get it at, at, at the school that you're at, if you're choosing to not get it in your public education, you know, for free, and you're, you're coming to me, well then, you know, you're, you're paying for an investment that will, will not be forever. Therapy is not forever. Right? On average, how long does it take, Melanie? So on average, I mean, you know, if you use one of the most popular curriculums, it's, it, they say two years. Okay. If you use another popular curriculum, they can, they say anywhere from, you know, three to five years. Oh, wow. Right. So it really just depends on, you know, the program, I guess, that you use, um, you know, the scope and sequence that's kind of written for that program um, in your district. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are you actually, know, there are actually states that mandate dyslexia therapy for students who have dyslexia. Cause I don't think we even test for it in California. Yeah, no. So like in Texas, you know, we are like the, the pioneers of dyslexia in Texas. So we have a dyslexia handbook the TEA, you know, we've got, there's testing protocol, there's, you know, early screening for dyslexia and any kind of learning difference, any kind of struggle with reading, writing, spelling. Um, so yeah, I mean, no, there's states that don't even recognize dyslexia. It just falls under, you know, a specific learning disability with reading, comprehension, fluency, you know, written expression. Right. So, um, but no, Texas definitely does recognize it now. um, And in public schools, there's dyslexia therapy that's available for students that are identified with dyslexia in, in in Texas special ed can take care of the dyslexia as well. Um, But it would, you know, most of the time it's a, it's a different, it's still a multi-sensory curriculum that's explicit, systematic, direct instruction, all of the components that need to be in place for a curriculum to be recognized as a dyslexia therapy curriculum. Um, so it would be different curriculum under special education most of the time, but, um, it still has the components, um, of a dyslexia therapy program. If that makes sense, I just felt like I rambled on with that no, one. No, 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 no. I, I, I just find this whole thing absolutely fascinating. Okay, I'm going to have to let you go. But before I let you go, Melanie, <laughs> where can people find you if they want to know more about you? Okay, so you can find us um, on our website, www.gatewaygrowth.net. Or you can, you know, email me directly, Melanie, M-E-L-A-N-I-E, at gatewaygrowth.net. I would love to help, support, answer questions, talk more, um, provide therapy, ADHD life coaching for families, um, however we can, we can help you. We just want every kid to get what they need. Every kid deserves a chance. And they really do deserve the time 
that they need to figure it out and, and, you know, have that opportunity to really be their best self. Okay. So this is going to be in the show notes. One final question that I just thought of, and you know, I'm, you know, it's, this is basically a podcast for adults, but a lot of us adults, a lot of us women have children. Yes. What happens if you're diagnosed with dyslexia as an adult? Can you do anything at all? Oh, sure. You can. Same, Um, same kind of therapy. You can do the same kind of therapy. You know, the, like I said, the plasticity of the brain is a real deal. So there's no age limit in, in teaching your brain how to read, write, and spell, how to recircuit your brain um, to do it better. Yeah. So there's lots of different approaches. Um, as an adult, what I find, especially my young adults, like they just don't have time. You know, five years is a lot of time. Three years is a lot of time. Um, So what we try to do is figure out where they're at, um, either with their diagnostic testing um, or with and or just the the tools that we use to kind of see where our students are when they come. You know, Sally Shaywitz is an incredible um, pioneer herself with dyslexia and research. And, you know, she says that Four times a week of therapy with one and a half to two hours of instruction can improve a grade level, right? So like if if I take 100 hours of reading instruction, that's intensive, highly effective program of reading instruction, I can improve my reading level by one grade for every 100 hours of instruction, right? So it can take, it can take one year, but you know, it can take three years. If you, if your deficit is that great, you know, and it, your reading is holding you back from work, um, college, just doing day-to-day life, you know, then yes, you definitely, therapy is an option. And it might take time, you know, depending on the the amount of the deficit, the, the severity of the deficit, but my goodness, what doors could open, you know, for someone who has struggled with reading all their life, right? And, and if you had an opportunity to do that, you know, why wouldn't you? And I'm sure we can all say why we wouldn't, right? But it's, you know, I mean, reading is a powerful thing. Reading, reading opens, literally opens doors for people. When I would think that through dyslexia therapy, you also figure out how your brain works even more. Oh, for sure. The thing about an adult or a young adult, just, you know, figuring out, getting a late diagnosis, right? You can't pass your SAT, ACT, what's going on? You go get a diagnosis of dyslexia and find out, wow, okay, so I've got this thing. You know, therapy is the proven way to turn dyslexia around, to get your reading to improve, your writing, your spelling to improve. However, what I have experienced um, with with the students that I've worked with, you know, they, they have already made it through high school. 
very, very well. You know, they're they're not failing school. Somehow they have overcompensated and overcome their dyslexia so so that they don't, you know, they don't, you know, do they need therapy? Yes, the research says that's the proven best way. But some students, they don't want to do the therapy. They don't see it as beneficial to them. And so, you know, but they do want to go to college and they they do have a goal for themselves that's in the future. So I support them. I, I encourage them, you know, if if you can figure out another way and maximize on the strengths that you have, your personality, your tenacity, your connections, right? The people that you know and the networking you've been able to do. Um, maybe you have people that will really vouch for you, teachers, um, people in the profession that you want to be in, that you're then at that point, does your reading, writing, and spelling really have to be the focus? right? If your deficit isn't so great that, you know, you have made it this far, then maybe you will make it even further, right? Without the therapy. So I'm, I'm not condoning no therapy, okay? So no one freak out on me about that. But what I am saying is that every person knows themselves the very best. And if I know that I want to be this, and I know myself that I can make it there, and I don't have to do the dyslexia therapy, and I can maneuver college and get where I need to be without my reading, writing, and spelling holding me back, right? I can tap into accommodations. I can get supports, get tutors, whatever. Then I say, go for it, right? If you can do it, then do it, right? At that point, dyslexia therapy is just an, it's an option for you. You're the young adult you have to choose your route. Mm -hmm. Right. So I just wanted to thank you so much for spending time with us here today, Melanie. Thank you so much. What it just, what a pleasure and what an honor. And um, yes, thank you so much. Thank you. And again, um, in the show notes, we'll have, well, let me say it one more time. You can find Melanie at gatewaygrowth.net or email her at melanie at gatewaygrowth.net. Well, you made that really easy. So thank you again. <laughs> and that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Melanie, please let us know by leaving a review. You know, our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And your reviews, they really do help in that regard. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. Come join me over at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smart-ass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.